following is quoted from a profile of Donatella Versace from September of 2017 by Jess Cartner Morley of The Guardian. When my brother was murdered, I had the eyes of the whole world on me, and 99% of them thought I wasn't going to make it. And maybe I thought the same at first. My brother was the king, and my whole world had crashed around me. I was his doll and his best friend. He dressed me up in cool clothes, took me out to discos and clubs when I was 11. I loved it. It was the best time of my life. For the first five years, I was lost. Now I feel like the death of my brother made me strong, but for a long time, it was trauma. You know the first thing I did when I heard the news the day he died? I ran to the room where my children were to turn off the TV, but I wasn't quick enough and they were watching their uncle covered in blood, and they were asking me why. I had to be strong for the company, but most of all, I had to be strong for the family. People thought I wasn't a warm person, but I was just trying to keep myself together. In case you've never heard his name, Gianni Versace was a prolific and iconic fashion designer who defined the 90s as an era of over-the-top opulence. He challenged what it meant to be modern, masculine, and openly gay. On the morning of July 15, 1997, when he was 50 years old, Gianni Versace was shot and killed by a serial killer named Andrew Cunanan on the steps of his Miami Beach mansion as he returned home from a morning walk on Ocean Drive. His murder would shock the world and was the first step in unearthing the trail of death and disaster that Cunanan left behind. My name is Natalie Levy Costa. And I'm Michael Costa. And this is Detective Society. Miami Special Special Edition! Yes, continue. No, that was terrible. No, 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 please. Cut all that out. I will not. Well, I guess we're back. So, not the last episode before this one. There's one more. At least. At, at least one more. At least one more that you're listening to, I think. <laughs> that is... Huh. Was that a riddle? It, it might have been. Wow, that's even more confusing. Okay, so we're back. Again. How you feeling, Michael? You know, ready to talk about some horrible, horrible, unspeakable things. Well, as ready as a human being could be. So I'm not ready at all. <laughs> uh, How are you doing? I'm, I'm fine. I'm sitting here drinking a, a glass of 19 Crimes wine because it felt so appropriate. I had not made the connection to this moment. That makes sense. That it's a wine called 19 Crimes and we're talking about crime? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well... I am here, fully plugged in. Mike is running on all cylinders. It has not been a weird work day. No. um, We're we're also recording from our pantry, so if the sound is a little bit weird, we are still very much experimenting with where we should be recording. It's a new house. (laughs) It it is. This place is very isolated, so it's, it's good. Yeah. uh, As always, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or just tell your friends about this podcast. 
I enjoy reading all of our reviews, whether they're positive or negative. Mike, I, not, not so much. Oh, no, I enjoy reading all of them. I just get particular uh, levels of, let's say, stimulation out of the negative ones, of which we had our second, finally. I think we've had more than two oh, negative Jesus. reviews, Mike. <laughs> I, I think he's just not very, he's not, he's not super clicked in like I am. Uh, yeah. No, I like them all. Because people are listening. That's how you know. Yeah. They listened to at least the first five minutes of our first episode. You're gonna keep you're gonna keep going on about this? Nope. Okay. I feel fine about it. Um so I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who has reached out to us since the release of our last episodes. And a special thank you to Lisa, who wrote me a really supportive email. Lisa, I won't say your last name on air, but you know who you are. As always, if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at detective society pod at gmail.com. Also, if you're interested, I've started another podcast that will be coming out twice a month for now with my BFFs, Jen and Alba, called May I Speak to Pizza. You may know them from the Family Annihilator episode from last year. That's true. I'll probably release a preview of it to Detective Society listeners at some point, but if you're interested in listening to three women talk about movies, shows, and other media made for women, give us a listen. I promise we are not (laughs) boring or at least we try not to be boring and we will keep feminist rants down to a minimum, but I can't promise zero. Minimum for like normal people or minimum for like you? It's about the same. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> um, hmm, what else? Oh, before we start the rest of this episode, I also want to note that I have not watched the assassination of Gianni Versace yet. So I think because that show has come out recently that that the idea that the show is out has been the catalyst for me recording this episode but i didn't want to watch the show yet because i didn't want it to bias the way that i talked about this murder yeah i think that makes sense I and mean, we were big fans of the oj simpson show from the same showrunners um yeah i thought uh, so. american crime story was really really good the first time around or uh, okay uh, okay would i call it classy um Good, like, it's not going to ever win an Emmy, but, oh, it did win Emmys, actually. It did? I think uh, the the DA, assistant DA, won an Emmy. Oh, he, he was really good, though. So. It was very entertaining and a, a fun watch. And But if you're going in expecting that show to be, like, the history and hard-hitting facts of the OJ trial, like, don't watch it. That's not what it's there for. No, that's not what it's there for. It's now, there to be entertaining. If you're like me and you've been inundated with all the facts of the OJ trials because you were into law when you were a teenager, like an idiot, it's a lot of fun because it's just kind of a drama over-the-top TV show about the trial. So I'm looking forward to watching the new one. Yeah, me too. Uh, I, I just, I didn't want it to overly influenced the way that I talked about this crime. I have a personal connection to this murder, which we will discuss later. So if you are watching the series and or don't want any spoilers, maybe listen to this to this episode after you've finished watching it. I know a lot of people our age know about this crime, but maybe they don't know all of the facets of it or the fact that Andrew Cunanan, the man who murdered Gianni Versace, was a total legit serial killer. I knew very little about the fact that Versace was killed. Okay, then back to the show. Uh, Something that always strikes me when I go to research the murders of famous victims is how much easier it is to find information on the victims themselves than it is in basically any other case that 
we talk about on the show. The focus has switched. The person who's died is more famous than the person doing the killing, finally. Yeah, and it's, I actually, I think it's, it's a kind of sad. Yeah, yeah. It's a real bummer. It's sad in a way. I Because I search every possible avenue of information on the victims for this show, and it is often, I would say, 90% of the time, extremely hard to find anything even a little bit personal about the victims themselves. For instance, it's very easy to find biographical information on Gianni Versace, and there's quite a bit out there on Andrew Cunanan, but when you look for information on Cunanan's other four victims, those people are Jeffrey Trail, David Madsen, Lee Mil- I'm sorry, Lee Miglin, and William Reese. The only one that you're able to find almost any information on is Lee Mil... For, for whatever reason, I'm having a very hard time pronouncing this man's name. Is Lee Miglin. Mil- Milgin. No, I miss I misspelled it there. Oh, uh. <laughs> it's Miglin. Um, and, and the reason that it's easier to find information on him is because he was a little bit famous, too. Oh, like, shit. he was yeah. super successful. That being said, I will do my best... To cover not just the most high profile of the five Cunanan victims, but, you know, as much as I can about the other four. And also what led up to this far-reaching killing spree. So let's start at the very beginning, which takes us to Reggio Calabria, Italy, where Versace was born in 1946, which is, by the way, a gorgeous city on the beach um, on the coast of Italy, right at the very, very tip of the boot of the Italian coast. Also, before we jump in, let me just say that all of the Versace children have amazing names. The oldest brother was Santo Versace, um, then came Giovanni or Gianni Versace, and then the last was Donatella. And these names make me miss Italy terribly. (laughs) I know that usually we try to go deep down into the making of the monsters that we cover, but there are actually quite a few moving pieces here, so I might not provide as much context for Andrew Cunanan's life, though I'll, I'll, I'll try my best. Um, anyway, so the Versace children, there were three of them, and their mother, whose name is Francesca, another excellent name, was a dressmaker. And interestingly enough, when her son became obsessed with fashion, unlike almost any other mother of the time, Francesca had him come and apprentice under her. In fact, she was extremely supportive because I I find this story so interesting. When she was young, she had wanted to be a doctor. Mm. But her parents, who were tailors, forced her to give up that dream and move into the family business. Her attitude about this was that she would never try to control her children and would never force them to do something that they didn't want to do, which I think of as it strikes me as incredibly open minded for the time. For post-World War II Italy? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Post-fascist Italy. Definitely. And yeah, all of the Versace children seem to have like this very um, interesting and avant-garde attitude about growing up and, and who Gianni was. Um, but immediately Gianni showed great promise when it came to fashion. By 1977, he had his first solo fashion show and opened his first boutique in Milan's Via de la Spa. Oh, God. Via de la Spilla? Sfiga? She does <laughs> oh, speak God. Italian, guys. Um, anyway, he opened his first shop in 1978. Do you want me to try it? Yeah. 
Via de Spiga. That was very racist. I'm gonna cut that. Yeah, you should. <laughs> we watched Inglorious Bastards the other day. We we certainly did with my 15 year old brother. That was an Probably experience. Cut all of this actually. Then. No. No. Okay. Versace quickly became a sensation on the international fashion scene. His designs employed vivid colors, bold prints, and sexy cuts, which was basically the opposite of what everyone else was doing in the 70s. His aesthetic combined luxurious classism with overt sexuality. And something I love is that he seemed to have a really great sense of humor about his own work. I read a quote um, of him saying... I don't believe in good taste. And I, I think something that I should mention as a side note is that it appears that all of the Versace children had this wonderful self-deprecating sense of humor about themselves. I know Donatella often strikes people as very severe because of how she looks, like the bleach blonde hair and the black eyeliner. Um, but if you watch interviews with her, she is legitimately hilarious. I watched one Vogue interview with her where they asked her, what would you be doing if you weren't a fashion designer? And she said, I don't know, probably having a nervous breakdown. (laughs) (laughs) So big ups to Donatella. Um, Okay. During the 80s, Versace experienced pretty much a meteoric rise. He met the man who would be his boyfriend and partner for the rest of his life, Antonio D'Amico, and built an international fashion empire. During that same exact time, Andrew Cunanan was literally in high school. Okay. So that's pretty anticlimactic for him. So just all the information we have. I <laughs> uh, so no, we, we have a little bit more information. Um Heads up, listener detectives, do yourself a favor of Googling Andrew Cunanan, because I think seeing photos of him and especially seeing the progression of what he looked like from high school on gives you a way better understanding of what makes him such a sinister character. It's not that his looks were um, particularly menacing. It's that he was fundamentally able to change his appearance with very little effort. When people talk about a person being a chameleon, Andrew Cunanan is a prime example of that. A lot of people who knew him would later describe this quality as something that really defined him. So not only was he a prolific liar, but he was also so good at making you believe that the lie was real because everything he did and everything about the way that he carried himself would lead you to believe that he was telling the truth. So in case in case it's not kind of connecting in your head, Cunanan is not... Um, in an English name. His father was, I believe, from the Philippines. Okay. Uh, but he was able to pass himself off as different races when he wanted to. He would shift what he wore and the way that he styled himself based on what was attractive for the time and place. There are various pictures of him where I would say on one end of the spectrum, he looks white and Jewish. And at the other end of the spectrum, he looks extremely ethnic. He was just really, really good at changing what he looked like, how he carried himself and making people believe the stories that he was telling them. So at the Bishop School in La Jolla, California, Andrew Cunanan was regarded as way over the top. To his friends, he was an openly gay teenager. He would whistle at the boys on the water polo team, and he once came to a school dance in a tight red jumpsuit with an older man as his date. Checking all the boxes. (laughs) 
doesn't sound like he was making particularly healthy choices. The yearbook voted him as least likely to be forgotten. (laughs) That is an ominous tag. That is very ominous. Uh, But still, I can't imagine that life was very easy for an openly gay kid in high school in the 80s, which may have been why he developed a habit of self-aggrandizing and showing off his possessions. But I actually, I think he would have, I think he would have followed the same pattern no matter what. Because his father, uh, who we just talked about, was an investment banker and was basically bankrolling and indulging his youngest son in whatever he wanted. Unfortunately... When Cunanan was 19, his father abandoned the family after it was discovered that he had embezzled more than $100,000 from the firms he'd been working for. And so, any other information there? Like, did he abandon them for another family? No. um, But I would say that it's just as bad. He didn't just leave the family. He sold all of their assets out from under them without telling uh, his wife or his children he sold out their homes, their cars, then fled to the Philippines, living, leaving his wife with only $700 to put the family back together. And his wife was not a person who was, like, working. Oh, man. That's a winner. Real winner right there. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. How long do you plan something like that? Or is it, like, one day it's, like, the last straw where you're like, you know what? Fuck you, people. I have to imagine that he knew that this news was going to come out. Oh, so you... Yeah, because he had been embezzling for a while. Yeah. But then, like... Because they seem independent of each other. What do you mean? He's been embezzling, knows he's going to get caught. But then why bury your family like that? Because you're a sociopath who doesn't really care about your family or a narcissist who... Just seize your family as an extension of you, and when you got to ditch them, you got to ditch them. It's an odd choice, regardless. It's it's not a great choice. Because you could shitty. also abandon your family and leave them with their possessions, so they have something to live on, and disappear. But like, I just the double whammy there. Yeah, it's pretty awful. Like I'm going down. And you know what? Fuck the rest of these people. Yeah, but then his son grew up to be a serial killer. So I like I think none of this to me anyway is very surprising. Uh oh, sorry, Billy's making some very serious noises outside of our tiny pantry. So the same year that his husband left them, Cunanan's mother discovered that he was gay, which should not have been a surprise to her, considering what her son's behavior was like. I have to imagine that she was living in quite a bit of denial, but either way, she could not accept her son as gay. This seems like more than a little bit crazy to me because her husband had just up and left the family. So I would be looking for allies wherever I could. Seems like the wrong time to disown a son. Seems like the wrong time to be uh, very cruel to your son. 19. Yeah, this is a real rough back to back. And not to, like, preempt you, but I, I'm well aware that most mental illness is developed in your late teens and early 20s. 
I'm by then I would assume that Cunanan was not easy to live with. The either makings way. were already there, I'm sure, but this back-to-back blow could not have helped what was probably already simmering under the surface. Yeah, but the 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 house that they were living in sounds like a nightmare anyway. They were broke. He was gay. She would verbally abuse him for being gay, and then he would physically attack her because she made him angry. Later, and I'm I think this is kind of telling of what their relationship must have been like. His mother would describe Andrew as a gay prostitute in the press. That was and I, and that was probably one of the nicer things she had to say about her son. Not a good home life. Not a good home For life. For anyone, really. No. No. I can't I can't imagine so. And I I think he had siblings, but I couldn't find a lot of information on them. I'm sure that they would be just a a font of information. So over the next five to six years, as Versace's star rose higher and higher, Cunanan's life became an exercise in escapism. He dropped out of college, befriending rich older men to pay his rent, pay for clothes, go club hopping, and pay travel expenses. He reportedly became addicted to cocaine and meth, and in some sources I've seen them mention a, a an addiction to pornography, but because I, I can't really... I can't vouch for that information. I'll just throw it out there and know that maybe it was true, maybe it wasn't. But he certainly was looking for validation with older, rich men that um, ultimately led to, I think, some really unhealthy choices and habits. In late 1996, after a wealthy older boyfriend cut him off, the man had supposedly grown annoyed by Cunanan's nagging for a Mercedes. Cunanan began to spiral out of control, and very soon after, the murders began. It's, it's, I think, I think often I try my best to empathize with the victims, with the perpetrators of these murders, but when it's a person who seems like they can find little to no value in life outside of material possessions, I find it really hard to connect with them. And maybe it's, maybe it's a matter of he, that's the only place where he ever felt like his father could show him love or he could find validation was in material possessions. But it just, he feels like such a, such a bummer. Like that person would be so irritating to be around. Which is crazy because he had lots of friends who, like, vouched for him, talked to him. I mean, again, he seems like a complete chameleon. Yeah, which is probably makes it easier to convince people that you're a good friend or something. I, I don't know. I mean, he's constantly looking for validation. I assume that's why he's in these older relationships because parents aren't giving any validation. So No. And so I I should also note for the listeners, we're about to go into a series of events where like, bam, 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 the murders are going to come hard and fast. And I, I don't have any answers in this case. It's hard to tell what, um, what triggered him, like why this happened, but go, go ahead. Does it seem like the, like, so we're going to get into it obviously, but. Does it seem like the kind of case, because I know we've talked about this in other ones, where these are the four victims we know of? I, I, 
couldn't say because that there might be like more out there. I because the lead in here, it feels like that's not one of these where like something snapped and this spree started. I will be honest with you. Often when we talk about these kind of crimes, it feels like there's a lead up. Yeah. It feels like here are the ways in which the violent crime escalated. Here were here was their rap sheet before they started murdering people. Yeah. We don't have that with Kunanan. It's really hard to make the jump from ostensibly like party boy to full on back to back to back to back murder. And I'll talk a little bit later about one investigator that I saw an interview with said, I think he was fantasizing about murdering people for a really long time. And at some point he just had nothing to lose. But that's speculation. Yeah. Like there's no record. Like it's not like he was keeping a diary about how he was fantasizing about murdering people. Um, So anyway, back to the story, Michael. In April of 1997, Cunanan threw himself a farewell dinner with ostrich, trout, and champagne and announced that he was moving to San Francisco. And in classic Andrew Cunanan fashion, the check came at the end of the night with all of his friends and he said, oh, I can't pay for this. (laughs) And so everyone else had to pay for the party that he threw for himself. The next day, though, instead of moving to San Francisco, he flew to Minneapolis to see Jeffrey Trail. Jeff Trail was a former Navy lieutenant who had met Cunanan in, in a San Diego bar. What I could find online about Trail's life broke my tiny little heart. Firstly, the photo that is often used to show him um, in articles is one of him in his Navy uniform, smiling and seeming so young and strong and handsome. He, he just... He seems like he could be anyone's brother. He just seems like a genuinely nice person. And I can immediately see why someone feeling weak and sad would be drawn to him. He seems like the kind of person who would tell you that everything was going to be okay and you would believe him. He had also been in the Navy during an extremely contentious time for gay members of the military. Don't Ask, Don't Tell would be passed two years before Trail left the Navy, and later it was revealed that he anonymously took part in a 48 Hours interview where he discussed being closeted in the military. He said, Whether people like it or not, there are gays in the military. They're very top-notch performers. They know what they're doing. You're going to weaken our national defense if you remove gays from the military, and you'll never be able to do it 100%. It's just whether or not you're going to continue to hunt us and force us to live in fear. It makes me (laughs) so angry and sad for him that his last few years were spent closeted, fighting for his rights to serve, and then ended with his brutal murder. And I should note that all of Cunanan's murders were violent, um, sudden, coming out of of nowhere. Um, But I think that because Jeff Trail... Jeff Trail seemed like a person who was looking for guidance or help. Um, And that's why he trusted Cunanan because I think I think that if you were a young man in the military have forced like forced to live closeted 
meeting someone who is out there living their lives openly and ostentatiously would seem like really thrilling and um, invigorating. And I think that that's how Cunanan like got his claws into a guy like Jeff because he, I think he was looking for, for friends in the gay community and Andrew Cunanan was known to basically be a predator. Jeff Trail and Andrew Cunanan had actually, so just before Cunanan came to visit him, they had fallen out. Um, but Cunanan asked to meet Trail for coffee to try to patch things up. On April 27th, they met up, and when Trail failed to meet some friends later that night, they didn't seem to be too worried about it. After all, he's a former Navy lieutenant. He seems like the kind of guy who would be able to take care of himself. Yeah, handle his own. Yep. At the time, Cunanan was staying with a friend and successful architect named David Madsen. At 9.45 p.m., so here's, here's what we know of the timeline. We believe that that night, after they'd met for coffee during the day, it sounds like they spent the day together, at 9.45, Trail and Cunanan entered Madsen's apartment. It is unclear whether or not Madsen was home. According to a neighbor, they heard someone yell, get the fuck out, and then you could hear the sounds of someone striking the wall and then running water. Two days later... Madsen's co-workers came to his apartment looking for him because he'd missed two days in a row of work and no one was answering the phone. And that's when Jeff's body was discovered wrapped in a rug. His head had been um, caved in. His head, face, and upper torso had sustained 27 blows from a claw hammer. His watch had stopped at 9.55. So if they got there at 9.45 and... Investigators believe that his watch stopped during his attack. It would mean that in the 10 minutes that they were possibly alone in the apartment together, he was murdered. From here, the sequence of events gets pretty fuzzy. By all accounts, Madsen and Cunanan disappeared almost immediately. They were seen walking Madsen's dog the day after Jeff's murder, but by May 3rd, so on April 27th, we believe Jeff Trail was murdered. May 3rd, next week, two fishermen stumble across Madsen's body near a lake north of Minneapolis. Madsen had two bullet holes in his back and one in his head from a 40 caliber pistol, which we believe Cunanan stole from Jeff Trail. Police suspect that Cunanan killed Trail and was caught by Madsen trying to clean up, i.e. the sound of running water, then murdered Madsen to eliminate him as a victim. I'm sorry, to eliminate him as a witness. After disposing of his body, Cunanan went on the run. But it sounds like Madsen was an accomplice for a period. The whole walking the dog thing. So something that I am... that I was mulling over in my head is firstly, Jeff Trail's body was found wrapped in a rug. Yeah. So it's possible that Madsen came home later that night because he wasn't home at the time of the murder is, is what we, we believe. Think. We, yeah. we don't know that he came home later that night 
and went straight to bed and didn't discover anything until a day or two later. There's a second thing going on here, though. If you come home and the person who has been staying with you, who is your friend and possibly your lover, has murdered someone with a hammer. I think my first move would be to say, I don't want to get murdered. So everything is cool. I'll help you and try to figure out what the hell I'm going to do. Like, I will try to keep as calm as possible and not trigger you to murder me with a hammer because I need to figure out how I'm going to get out of this situation alive. Maybe. I completely disagree with that, though. Okay. I, I, I don't... You spend a few days with the person? You go walk your dog together? Like, I don't... I think, if anything, somehow your kunanic keeps it under wraps for a handful of days... I don't really know, but I don't I don't buy this idea that your reaction is to play along for because play along until I can find a way out of here. But then multiple days pass and you're still just playing along so you don't get like, no, you. Well, I, I don't know that that's the case because we're talking about the morning after the murder. And so it's it's definitely possible that he didn't know that. The morning Jeff after the Tripp. murder. That, that's when they were seen walking the dog together. Oh, but it wasn't until the 3rd that we find that his body. That his body was discovered. Yeah, okay, okay. So between April 28th and May 3rd, we really don't know what happened. We just know that he was murdered and that they found his body. This is all leading up to what may be, not maybe, in my opinion, is Cunanan's most vicious and vile murder. Uh, not the shooting of Gianni Versace, but the murder of Lee Miglin. Lee's life seems to be the perfect example of the American dream. He was born to a Roman Catholic family, one of eight children, big house. His father was a coal miner. Lee worked selling silverware door to door and pancake batter out of the trunk of his car in order to start his career when he was very young. And from there, he worked his way up, ultimately becoming a successful real estate developer in the Chicago area. He was very well respected. Um, And on Sunday, May 4th. So bear in mind a day after they found the body, but probably a handful of days after he's killed him. Yep. May 4th, Marilyn Miglin, Lee's wife, returns to her row house on the Tony Gold Coast of Chicago's north side. Wondering why her husband, the real estate developer, had failed to meet her at the airport. Lee had always been fastidious and um, extremely clean, but there were dirty dishes and a half-eaten ham sandwich in the kitchen and some beard stubble in the bathroom sink. In the garage, she found a blood-spattered chamber of horrors. Miglin's body was riddled with shallow stab wounds from both gardening shears and a screwdriver. His head was wrapped in tape with a breathing space under his nostrils. His throat had been slashed with a gardener's bow saw. Police believe that he had been tortured in an effort to get information about where valuables were being stored in the house. So let's backtrack to one of the questions that you asked earlier. Did we see an escalation? I would argue that this is the only place where we saw an escalation. But he started with murdering his friend with a claw hammer. So whatever had been going on was 
at its very worst when he stumbled upon Lee Miglin. That one feels, the first one feels like not, this one feels meditated, like premeditated, not the previous one. Yeah. But so I guess you're going to get into how they knew each other, if we know anything about that, or? We actually don't. So because Cunanan had been targeting men in the gay community up until this point, some people have posited that maybe, you know, Lee Miglin was... Had a second life. Yeah, he was an older man, um, seemed like someone that Cunanan might target, but a lot of people also believe that this was random. There was no reason to believe that Lee Miglin was living a double life. He seemed really happy with his wife and his children. A lot of people think that this was just a psychopath being a psychopath. He went to a rich neighborhood, discovered someone home alone, and decided to take the opportunity where he could. That's an escalation. That's a massive escalation. It's a huge escalation. So at the time, the police were already on Cunanan's trail, but ultimately he escaped with $10,000 in cash that he'd found in the house, a car, and several of Miglin's suits. That detail to me sounds, it's so absurd. I mean, he was raised by a guy who was embezzling money and spending money like crazy. He's raised on like the only enjoyment out of life and fulfillment is the material goods. And then it was all stripped from him. Yeah. By that same, what I don't understand, and this is nitpicking some of the the victim's life, but ten thousand dollars in cash in your house. It was also a different time. I mean, it's possible that he, yeah, it was the nineties, but it's possible that he um, had a safe in the house. I mean, he tortured this man to death. Yeah. yeah. So clearly, he had already ransacked the house and not found anything. (laughs) Yeah, I just. All right. It's an unimportant detail for sure. No need to blame the victim. Michael. I'm not blaming it's the victim life. at all. I'm just he can trying keep to keep as much cash okay. as you want. My point is, it has nothing to do with the crime at all. I'm just thinking about like being a human being on this earth and how people live. Even if I was extremely wealthy, I, I can't imagine a situation where I'd want to have that much cash on me or in my house at any time. And for any reason is the other thing. I can't fathom a reason to have it. Yeah, but you're not a successful real estate developer. <laughs> totally Maybe he's fair. Gotta, he's That's why I'm just nitpicking an unnecessary facet. I just find that interesting. Agreed. Um, so he escapes with $10,000 in cash and his, I mean, his, his fingerprints are all over the place and they already are suspicious of him because of what happened with the previous two murders. So at this point, Andrew Cunanan becomes the 449th fugitive listed on the FBI's most wanted list. This is May 4th, 1997. The murder of Gianni Versace, and this is in Chicago, happens July 15th. Two months, though. Yeah, it's, it's a very short amount of time to go on this kind of killing spree. So by May 9th, 1997, Cunanan had made it from Chicago to New Jersey, and this is where the fourth murder takes place. William Reese is a 45-year-old caretaker at the Finns Point National Cemetery in Pennsville, um, and he is found dead in the cemetery's office on May 10th. He had been shot in the head, and his red pickup truck was gone, replaced by a green Lexus with Illinois plates. The same Lexus that Cunan stole from Miglin's garage. So that's how he was connected to the William Reese murder. 
It was later determined that Cunanan likely killed Reese solely for his truck. William Reese left behind a wife and son. He had a family, and Andrew Cunanan shot him for a car. So he does not give a fuck at this point. Okay, so that's our four leading up to the Versace killing. Yep. We can edit what I'm about to ask out, because if you're going to cover it, then that's fine. Mm -hmm. But there is a story developing in my head of someone who finally snaps and kills his like friend and on and off again lover in Minneapolis and then for some reason decides well this only ends with me getting caught eventually so I might as well go out with like I just is he is he on the way from Chicago to Miami the whole time? Is that the sense that investigators have of this crime? That, like, at some point after the first two killings, he has decided, I need to get down to Florida and kill Versace? I don't know, because it's not a straight shot from Chicago to New to, to Miami and then New Jersey's on the way. My suspicion is that he was just looking for big cities. And he... He doesn't go to New York, though. He's right next to... He doesn't go to New York. Maybe he passes through New York, or maybe he's on his way to New York, realizes, here's the news that he's now on the FBI's most wanted list, leaves the car in New Jersey, and decides, I'm going to... They're going to think I'm going to New York. I'm going to go down to Miami. Because at the time, I would say on the East Coast, New York and Miami were the two biggest gay-friendly cities. And so, based on the way that he spends the next month, month and a half, I think he was almost looking like, um, looking to go out in a blaze of glory. Um, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. Okay. So, on May 11th, 1997, two days after killing William Reese in New Jersey, Cunanan arrives in Miami and books a room for $26.99 a night at the Normandy Plaza Hotel, a seedy place four miles north of Versace's mansion. So Versace's mansion is on Ocean Drive in South Beach. The Normandy is probably near Surfside. That makes sense. It's North Miami Beach for those not in the loop. Yeah. Um, he re- he reportedly spent his time. <laughs> Not a lot of people know Surfside, Natalie. You, you don't know. You lived in the area Maybe most of your childhood life. Maybe all our listeners so. are from Miami. Or North Miami. Or Surfside. Or D.C. That's it, though. Miami and D.C. are our only listening population. Um, he reportedly spent his time doing drugs, eating fast food, stealing, and going to gay nightclubs, where he may have sought out older men. It's difficult to say. Really making that 10 G's last. Not at all. Not well, I mean, even fast food in the cheap hotel. I mean, he's blowing it at night at the club, obviously, but... So the day before he killed Versace, Cunanan had run completely out of money. There you go. <laughs> and left his hotel without paying his bill. Well, it's his M.O. His calling card. I should note here that there has been considerable criticism of the FBI for not anticipating that Cunanan would head to Miami in the first place. Um, And specifically South Beach, because, again, it was kind of a safe haven for gay men at the time. Critics of law enforcement say that if flyers with Cunanan's face 
had been circulated in the gay communities, probably of both Miami and New York, he would have been identified way sooner because when reporters later spoke to bartenders, they were very quick to say, yeah, 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 I, I saw that guy. He came in all the time and he was spending like he was living his life very openly and very ostentatiously. He was not in hiding the way that you would think someone who was on the run would be. Outside of the fact that he kind of has a face that can be like that's the, that's part of the problem that you addressed at the top, I think. I'm going to kind of defend law enforcement but real quick. Yeah. Like, sure, they didn't do that and they showed up. But, and this is really defending them, it's me kind of wondering how effective that even would have been. I think it would have been better than nothing. Nothing. Oh, yeah. for sure. For sure. But you did kind of lead in with that. So, okay, I'll, I'll say this then because I think this may negate yeah. what you just said. Um, he did not try to stay under the radar despite being on the FBI's most wanted list. At one point, using his own name to pawn a gold coin that he had stolen from Lee Miglin. Um, going out in the afternoons and in the evening, being very visible and like basically following the protocol that he had always followed. Trying to go find gay older men, um, being very friendly to people, using his own name. How old is he now? I think he was 27 at the time. Oh, I have a new like thing brewing too, because like, so the lifestyle he lives is as the young boy toy to the rich older man. At some point you age out of that. Yeah, I guess so. And he's getting there. So like... I'm just thinking of because there's an escalation from the person he was at 19 when his dad left to the person he is now. And I'm just trying to fill in the holes and try to make sense of it. And so he might, like you said, blaze of glory going out. He might think like, well, this is it. Like if I can't, if I can't convince old dudes to love me, like I have, there's no point in me sticking around. I don't, I don't know if that's, like, too simplistic, but, like, that's just what I'm thinking now. Yeah, I think it is too simplistic. Oh, for sure. Because I think it doesn't take into account the way that Cunanan thought of himself. He thought of himself as very smart and very capable and smarter than everyone else. And everyone else was an idiot. Like, I, I think... But you, I think did a lot he announce that a lot? I, I, I don't know that he did, but I think a lot of this has to do with, with a lack of value for the lives of other people, for an extreme amount of drug use, and for, you know, probably being a little bit of a narcissist or a sociopath to begin with. Yeah, probably. But at the same time, I think the person yelling about how smart and talented they are are probably like the most insecure about how smart and talented they are. Probably. Um, So there has been a lot of speculation Speaking about older gay men and Andrew Cunanan, there's been a lot of speculation as to whether Versace and Cunanan ever met before the morning of July 15th. No two sources seem to agree on like how or when or if they'd ever really met at all. But the one that is so because this is a almost seminal work on the life of Andrew Cunanan and is the basis for the show that they just developed. The one that is circulated the most is the account told in Vulgar Favors. The author claims that Versace and Cunanan met as early as 1990 in San Francisco. The Versace family claim that they never met once 
before the day of Gianni's murder. So I choose to believe that the truth is somewhere in the middle. Cunanan was known to hang out in upscale bars and clubs where he would prowl for older gay men, but Versace himself was not back in Miami until July 10th. He'd been off traveling. So he wasn't even in Miami until five days before he was murdered. So there is a very real possibility that at some point they cross paths in California, but there's also a very real possibility that you were right and Andrew Cunanan came down to Miami with every intention of murdering the most high-profile person he could find. Yeah. And that Versace just didn't get back into town until July 10th. Yeah, it's true. I think that's totally true. Possibility there. I, I don't know. That's that's really weird and frustrating, though, that no one seems to agree on if they... I mean, yeah. Part of it is that Cunanan was such a liar. Yeah. So he was, he was always talking about his celebrity friends, whether or whether or not they existed. In either case, this does not change the fact that Gianni Versace was gunned down on July 15th in 1997. He was a great talent, and just like the rest of Andrew Cunanan's victims, he did not deserve to die that way. After shooting Versace, a witness attempted to pursue Cunanan, but was unable to catch him. As I noted at the beginning of this episode, he shot him in broad daylight in the morning in a very visible part of South Beach. So if, if you're not familiar with it, um, in South Beach on Ocean Drive, the Versace Mansion is smack in the middle of an area where it's like a hotel on the left and bars and restaurants on the right. It is not in a residential neighborhood at all. So this, this witness saw Cunanan, was able to identify him later, but could not catch him. Responding police officers found Reese's stolen vehicle, William Reese from New Jersey, as well as Cunanan's clothes, a doctored passport, and newspaper clippings of Cunanan's murders in a nearby parking Fuck. garage. So he was keeping an eye on his own escapades in the media. Yeah. 1,000 agents across the country were deployed to try to find Cunanan, taking part in what became one of the biggest manhunts in history. On July 23, 1997, as a police assault team closed in on a houseboat where Cunanan had broken into, Cunanan shot himself in the mouth using the same gun he'd used to kill Madsen, Reese, and Versace. He left no suicide note or explanation for his crimes. I find that last note very frustrating. I think oh, you were yeah. just talking about how frustrating it is. I really struggle to understand Cunanan's motives for the murder spree. Um, at the time, it was reported that Cunanan just wanted to be famous and decided to kill the most high-profile person he could get close to. But that doesn't explain why then he killed his first four victims. Later, there was a story circulated that Cunanan had told his friends that he was HIV positive and was possibly searching out old lovers who he blamed for that diagnosis. But when an autopsy was conducted, police found that he was HIV negative. I also think that the second explanation kind of reeks of homophobia and the place that our media and national opinion was in 1997. Which was a long ways from where it was in the 80s, but still that, not great. That's true. I just think if there was like a salacious way to make these murders about being gay and the gay boogeyman, that <laughs> the media were going to jump all over it. One report that I read proposed, and I talked about this a little earlier, that Cunanan had been fantasizing about killing someone for years, and it just so happened that he was at a breaking point where he was broke, doing a lot of drugs, and completely delusional. 
But at the end of the day, I find the most shocking element of this case how little we talk about the murders before Gianni Versace. I feel like the four men that Cunanan murdered before Versace really get only passing mentions in the reporting of this crime, or at least the reporting of the crime at the time that it happened. Yeah. Um, it sounds to me like they're getting a lot more attention now that the American Crime Story season is airing. But still, I think that that is that's a real tragedy. These men were completely innocent. Um, they didn't deserve to be murdered the way that they were. And one of them was tortured to death. And it just seems like a, a, they shouldn't have called it American Crime Story. They should have called it American Tragedy. Because it is heartbreaking. So, why are we talking about this case on Detective Society? Because I announced at the beginning that like, it's a Miami special. <laughs> it is a Miami special. And the air horn and everything. Uh, but to be honest, I think we're going to have more and more of these non-DC specials happening because... And I, I said this to, to some friends of mine. And if, if you have DC-related crimes, please share them with us. Please reach out to us on Twitter um, or email us and let us know which ones you think we should take a look at. Um, but... A lot. So when DC, when I first started this podcast, I said I'm never going to run out of murders in DC because DC and Baltimore, at various times in history, were the murder capitals of the United States. Yeah. One kind of huge problem with that hypothesis is, and especially for the DC, this is true. At the time that these murders were occurring, they were happening primarily to victims of color. Yep. And so they were not being covered in the press and the police were not doing a great job in, of investigating them. So as much as these are stories that I want to tell, I'll be honest with you guys, I have a very hard time finding material to pull from. And I don't, I don't have the manpower to go off and do primary investigations on my own. So I'm kind of stuck in this place where I'm like, well, I guess we have to expand our map of where we're going to be telling stories of but in addition to the fact that i think we are going to quickly run out of murders to talk about in dc and maryland after gianni versace was rushed to jackson memorial hospital and the scene in front of the versace mansion was finally cleared his blood remained visible having seeped into the coral steps at the front gate i know that particular detail because i have never forgotten it this is a very weird story for me to tell, but when I was nine years old on summer break in 1997... You had just turned nine. Yep. My father, who owns a chain of stores on South Beach, um, said to his three children, all nine and younger, let's go see where Gianni Versace was murdered. Um, and so we walked the... Gosh, now that I think about it, it was probably six to eight blocks between my dad's store and the Versace mansion. Um, walked up to the steps. At the time, the gate was closed for obvious reasons. But we walked up to the steps where he had been killed. And lo and behold, there was still blood spatter on the coral steps. A fact that my father pointed out to his three children. I should note that my dad is a true crime nerd, and I think that 
moment was super formative in my life and probably influenced a lot about the person that I grew up to be. I would argue it wasn't just that, though, because this is a time when your dad was saying, let's spend some quality time, you and me, Natalie. Let's watch Cold Case Files together. That is very true. Um, And those other true crime shows on TV, so... Yeah. You were well-versed at a young age. I think... So, one of my earliest memories um, of spending quality time with my dad was watching... Maybe it was... America's Most Wanted, but it was the story of a woman who was abducted by two men and raped on the side of a road and murdered and left there. And I remember that vividly. And my mom was a, like, super true crime book reader. So, like, together they made a bunch of just very morbid children. You guys do wear a lot of black. We do. We certainly wear a lot of black. Um, They say that as she's wearing black tights and a black shirt right now. Yeah, but blue hair. Yeah. I'm colorblind. So I take it that you don't find this story very surprising. What do you mean surprising? The story of my dad. Oh. Oh, the Versace story. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, should I pretend like I haven't heard it before? Because I've heard it before. Um, and no, when I heard it, my reaction was not to be surprised at all. Uh, by then, I had known you for long enough and... Know the kind of person your dad is. And so your dad wanted to do something and his kids were with him. So he said, you guys want to go too? Whatever. <laughs> and this is weird because this is from the guy and I don't want to besmirch the, 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 the dear Eli <laughs> Levy on air. But if I recall, you once told me that as a teenager when he was in Israel and the IDF is what it's called when you yeah. everyone's got to serve in the IDF in Israel. He was put in intelligence. And what was the reason you told me he was intelligence? He was too squeamish around blood. Yeah. So, like, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to reconcile those two facts. Again, I don't know that that's the truth. That just may have been his brothers ragging on him later. Because his brothers were, like, decorated. In the military. Yeah. Yeah, they were. Um, yeah. So that was – that. those were the murders of Andrew Cunanan. I – I know that a lot of people don't know that Andrew Cunanan was a serial killer. I had no idea. I, I didn't know until I was much older. Um, and I had known, obviously, about the murder of Gianni Versace since I was nine years old. I mean, he was he was the unofficial mayor of Miami. Miami Beach, at least. He was, he was extremely well-loved in the community. And he was a man who was very visible in the community, too. And so if you were a person like me or, or the members of my family who worked, lived, made their money out in South Beach. You saw him all the time. Um, And he was, his, his absence was noted in the community. Um, I hearken back to those quotes from, from Donatella earlier on. His, his death left a big hole for a lot of people. Um, So I think that, but even more so, there were four other huge holes left in the lives yeah. of other families. Yeah. And they were all, you know, on account of some some horrible, horrible person who, I don't know. I, I struggle to call Andrew Cunanan sick. I just think of him as selfish. I mean... <sighs> I don't, nature and nurture is the constant thing we talk about, I think, with these kind of people. And 
the life he was coming from did him no favors, obviously. And it seems as though something like snapped a flip, the switch was flipped because it, this all happened so fast. Yeah. Um, and there are so many weird theories out there about it. Like, yeah, he didn't po- test positive for HIV, but that doesn't mean someone didn't tell him he, you know, that they had it and they gave it to him and he just believed it. Yeah. Like there, it just, it doesn't, it just like your point, there's no escalation. It just seems to kind of come out of nowhere. Yeah. And then after the third murder, there seems to be a piece we're missing that he murders the fourth person for a car and then drives that straight to Miami, parties his ass off till he's broke and then kills Gianni Versace. Like there's just, there's holes that I don't like, I want to be able to have answers to, but we don't, we really don't. Yeah. You know, maybe he knew Gianni Versace. Maybe he just picked Gianni Versace because he was so visible. Maybe he didn't even know much about Gianni Versace, but was in Miami for a few weeks, and everyone's like, oh, man, the mayor of South Beach, my Gianni Versace, when he gets back into town, the party's going to be awesome because he's in all these upscale clubs, you know? I, maybe he saw Versace walking that morning. <laughs> that is also possible. And then, like, the one murder for me here that, like, is the biggest sticking one is the, the one he tortures, like... Did he know that guy? Miglin, yeah. Like, how? What happened there? I don't know. It's it's horrifying. Cause that's the only one that's like a home invasion. Like it, that one's so out of line with the rest of them. Then he eats a sandwich and shaves. That's why the shaving, like the shaving hairs, were significant. Because what we found out later is that he shaved, stole a bunch of suits, and left. And then, yeah, that's a weird one because now I'm like, well, did he know that the spouse would not be home for a while? I don't know. But it wasn't Because he seems to take his time. Yeah. I don't know. This is fucking, this is fucked up. Well. I mean, they're all fucked up. Except for the one about the kid who dressed up like a cow. Remember when we did that one? That one was so nice. (sighs) This is still Detective Society, though. It is still the Texas Society, so it's never going to be great. It's not ruined. But it's not great. You keep touching the screen, and I feel like you have no idea, but it is so hard to edit these podcasts. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, listeners. This isn't your battle to deal I'm with. I'm the co-host you're stuck with. I don't Maybe I'll replace you. Death do us part. Um... Okay, so as always, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and on iTunes. Um, Be sure to subscribe. Please tell your friends. Uh, Reach out to us at DetectiveSocietyPod at gmail.com and at... DetectivePod? DetectivePod, I think. That's the Twitter, yeah. On Twitter. And also Facebook groups. Oh, yep. We also have a Facebook group, so feel free to like us on Facebook. You can also follow me at N-R-L-S-E-E on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Reynaldo all day, except I never tweet or Instagram anything, because I'm a hermit. Um, And honestly, if you're sitting there listening and you're thinking... No, they keep telling me to rate and review, but I'm only going to give bad ratings and reviews. Let it rip, man. Let us know. We're always trying to improve. Yeah. So if it's constructive and incomplete sentences, go for it. I agree. I'm Natalie Levy-Costa. I'm Michael Costa. And this has been Detective Society. Special Miami Edition. Edition. We're, We're fucking nerds. Speak for yourself. I'm fucking awesome.